and welcome to this episode of the podcast where we're going to be discussing things that are a little bit close to the bone. Um, This podcast is about underground culture. If you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about what we used to talk about on the Facebook. However, I did script this, I made a few notes and I've been speaking to people on WhatsApp. This is a bit of a Q&A to... Uh, I'm not going to answer... I'm not going to tell you the stuff that happened for those who didn't follow... Do those who follow me know what happened? For those who didn't follow me, then... Yeah, uh, basically, just... Don't worry about it. That's, that's what we're going to say. Just don't worry about it. What we're going to tell you now is the political issues that are hitting the underground. The, the, the non-mainstream... First of all, I want to discuss Brexit. Um, let's get this bullshit out of the way. Brexit, man. Um, I want to talk about censorship, Brexit. Um, not all in the right order. And just what 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 you guys need to do. First of all, right? Um, you don't need to get a VPN. Um, a lot of people are starting to get VPNs. They're starting to go about it. That's the wrong way, folks. Uh, because we're letting the mainstream of one. If you go by, v- by VPNs, um, the mainstream have one. And in all essence, um, I was reading about the porn block the other day. I'm not going to discuss that on this podcast. <laughs> Unfortunately, we think that's underground, but... Uh, nudity and porn are two different things. We're going to discuss that in a different podcast, but we're going to keep to just political stuff. Um, and I've decided to be a true underground person and not vote, not vote at the next election, because by voting, you are already a mainstream person. Let that sink in. You're already mainstream. If you if you vote, right, this is something. If you vote for a party, right, okay, it used to be, back in the day, if you didn't vote, you had no say. Now, it's, if you vote, it doesn't matter what happens. It, it just doesn't matter. Now, I've... I have my strong opinions why I wanted to come out of the EU. I'm not going to share them here on this podcast. Um, however, um, I voted. I voted to leave, and that's you know I voted several things. Um, you know, but if somebody does want me to vote, I'm going to vote for the monster raving loony party. Even though they're not in. And again, that's just to piss off the mainstream people. Uh, we we don't wanna be we don't wanna be mainstream because mainstream sucks. Mainstream is disgusting. Mainstream is um for ordinary people that do ordinary things. Um that an ordinary people do not know how to set up a community properly. Uh, ordinary people, they don't have free thinking because their thinking is controlled by the newspaper, the media, the magazines they read. 
um, they don't go looking for any sort of culture. Now, unfortunately, back in the olden days, the internet used to be a fantastic place for underground culture. It's not that anymore because uh, the constabularies, basically, uh, the, well, the constabularies um, are controlling it. They're controlling the internet. They're controlling the internet. Look at uh, look at all the shit that's happened on YouTube, uh, or look at all the shit that's happening on Facebook. Um, I've got involved even after the problems that I faced. There were more problems that I faced that didn't um, necessarily happen to me, but they happened to um, they happened to the friends of mine, unfortunately. And I messaged them personally and sorted them out and uh they you know uh they uh they're not even they've left facebook um i don't touch facebook as much because um i put stuff on facebook but i'm trying to go a different route so you guys can find out now i'm not going for the deep web because uh again uh, the deep web is uh, that's, you know, that's another realm altogether, and, um, a lot of friends have told me to stay clear of it, and wary of it, and stuff, um, so, you know, kind of, that's, that stuff's, you know, but we, we need to, we need to think of some, we need to think of some way that we can get our things across to other people. So, um, the next thing I thought was sending mail, but if you send mail, you have people going through, you basically have people who sort it, and your mail is checked, unfortunately, your mail is, people do read your mail, and yeah, it's, people spy on you some other way, so again, that's another problem we're facing. Um, so, um, we've thought maybe a convention in the future. Well, a lot of people would like a convention. And if it does happen, then maybe we can get together and we can write notes in conventions and stuff. Um, it's got me... Get, I'm going to start reading Braille this year because I want to do it for a hobby. Um, not just that, but to be a complete underground person, I can write Braille. And also, I want to learn computer code so I can write computer code in Braille. Now, unfortunately, if I still send Braille through the post, um, it still gets read. So, unfortunately, um, it, it's a bit of a pain in the bum. But... Um, but my my next my next plan that I have is uh, trying to invent a convention where we all talk and create and make ideas and stuff like that. Um, it might happen in the future at some point. There is Reddit, which I'm learning how to use. A lot of underground people tend to go to Reddit, and I'm on I'm on Reddit, but I just need to learn how to use it. And so I'm on there, and uh, and I'm. Tumblr also, but Tumblr's going towards... It's swinging towards a mainstream way. 
Um, it's good because Tumblr will become more safer. Uh, the bad point is though, people won't just be able to put their normal thoughts on there. Uh, so yeah, um, that is one bad problem that we face. Um, so there is, you know, um, certain things we can do and certain things we can't do. Um, and I do have things I want to share on the internet. I've got some underground videos I'm making. Uh, the, the Imaginary Friends videos, that's the series. Uh, we're treating that like an underground arts project because we do want people to view it, but we want people who, you know, we want them, we basically, we basically want them not to conform. I sort of put it on a weird website, you know, something like where all those people go. You know, I was thinking deviant art, something like that, because that's, you know, not a lot of people access deviant art, unfortunately. Um, then I was thinking, no, not deviant art, because again, deviant art has had a very, very, it's it's had a twist. Again, it's swung towards mainstream. Um, it's a pain in the butt um, because where do you go where there is underground culture where do you go um, to you know what's the name do I need to sort of read it more on this but um, anyway that's a question that you guys can answer for me if you listen to this podcast what I want to talk about is um so that's that's where I've been hiding basically that's where it's all happened we've also had the mother bird challenge oh man seriously get a life um you know um there is people that do these 3am challenges they're fake um the whole mother bird thing is not fake it's very real what are my thoughts on it um well, I was freaked out by kids. You know, this happened to kids. Um, this was kind of a nightmare on Elm Street for real. This was kind of something coming from the dream world into the real world. I mean, this for me was like, ah, for real. Um, and I want to do a project on that as well. That's another project I've got an idea. Um, I, it's, uh, I want to do an art project around ah. I want to do a 3 a.m. challenge and take the mick out of 3 a.m. challenges because, um, but I want somebody who can do this with me, somebody who doesn't mind being FaceTimed, and we have to do it. There's another thing if you're going to do a 3 a.m. challenge, do it at 3 a.m. You know, don't just. I've seen some 3 a.m. challenges. You can tell there's one guy who did it at 5am in the morning. <laughs> he did his 3am challenge. And you could tell it was 5am in the morning because he had to pause the camera. And apparently um, it, it came out in the next video that he bluffed it. Apparently it took him two days to record the video. So if I'm going to do a 3am challenge, I've got to do it properly. You, you can't fake it. I mean, you can fake 
what happens within a 3am challenge but if it's a 3am challenge you've got to really do it at that moment at that time you've got to do it at 3am so i'm going to do a 3am challenge for this is going to piss off the whole mainstream people and uh you know 3am challenges i want it i want to cheese off the mother's union as well because i'm sick of the mother's union i'm just sick of it but um the whole mother the whole momo bird thing challenge is very freaky um i mean it's if you if you're a parent and uh, people uh get this momo challenge um this hoax thing um you know stranger danger on the internet type of thing you know being hacked it's it's an everyday thing um but i don't know it's it's um somebody said there was another rumor going around um i don't know if you've heard the um oh what's that thing called that creepy pasta uh they're everywhere and i think someone apparently from what i gather the rumor was they were sucked into a creepy pasta um which doesn't surprise me because creepy pastas do mess with your head a lot um that's what makes a good creepy pasta but in the same point if a creepy pasta goes into real life um you know i mean a lot of people oh you know a lot of people used to worry about me watching horror films and i used to say if you think i'm gonna copy what's in a horror film you're as dumb as you're as dumb as anything and you know seriously um but you know obviously like um i used to listen to eminem and i got banned from listening to you know eminem got banned from my cd collection because he was talking about killing yourself and uh, for swear word as well but the main subject was killing yourself is a bad thing now now i'm a grown-up person um i've never had suicidal thoughts i've had messed up thoughts but I, i'm i'm a coward <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, um, but what I'm going to say on this podcast is, the Momo challenge is real, and it's using fakery. I wouldn't call it that. It's it's using something pretend, bringing that to the real world. Um, but obviously. It's, um, it's getting something real, bringing it into the real world. It's getting something pretend, bringing it into the real world, and messing with kids. Um, it's telling kids that this is a secret. You know, basically, you know, put yourself in danger, put your parents in danger, put your brother, put your siblings in danger. Yeah, that's 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 real. And the person behind it's really sick but um and an annoying thing is when somebody does something they don't just 
mess it up for themselves. They mess it up for everybody else. And the thing that annoyed me was they've messed everything up for the art world. Um, because since that Motherbird challenge, the internet has become heavily on censorship. Uh, you know, and if you want to view something, that's fine. Your kids, you know, we're in that world now. The internet is, I mean, we're, we're no longer are we in the world where we have to sneak things past mum and dad. Um, you know, the internet is basically, we can do that so easily. If there's a piece of music that I want to listen to, which I know my mummy will not approve of me listening to, I can type it in on Spotify and listen to it straight away. In fact, I've got a playlist. I've got a playlist full of stuff that my mum and dad would not approve of me listening to, but I listen to it anyway. Um, it, it's just you know, and it's such an easy thing. But you know, as a nine or ten year old kid, that's such an easy thing to do. If they wanted to listen to Eminem, for example, or if they wanted to listen to something that their parents didn't approve of, all they need to do is plug in some earphones and, and there you go. Um, videos, there's, you know, videos out there, there's oh, stuff like, you know, South Park, you know, things that your parents approve of, and you're like, oh, wow, this is great. You can hide in your room and watch those videos. Um, and I think the Motherbird Challenge was done... By somebody who knew they could mess up those minds. Um, I did hear a rumor that spot uh, that spot, I, had, I did hear a rumor though that Motherbird was something to do with um, oh what's that game called? That computer game. There's a creepy pasta, and I should know it uh, because it made a future episode, uh, made a oh what's it called? Polybius. Um, basically, it's a game that was uh, run by people uh, in suits. They took the arcade away. Uh, they put this arcade machine in. Apparently, it sort of, people had thought disorders and nightmares and stuff. And I heard two creepy pastors. Apparently, uh, that was a character from Polybius. Um, that I heard. Uh, number two was um, they were doing another creepy pasta, and people were lured into it. Now the issue I have with creepy pastas is sometimes people can be lured into these uh, creepy pastas. The uh, famous one was the uh, SpongeBob Lost episode, um, and another one was the creepy Sonic game. Now to veer ourselves away from this. Um, I think if I'm a parent, I mean, if just be seriously, parents who are not tech savvy, please be tech savvy. It's the only mainstream thing I'm going to say all day. Uh, just be tech savvy. You know, look at what your kids are doing. Look at what your kids are on. Um, and it's going to be a pain in the neck. But uh, you know, if they're accessing social media. Uh, you can be on the social media. Um, you know, there is, there is, in fact, there are apps out there 
where you can control the phone. Um, you know, uh, obviously I haven't told my mother about that. <laughs> um, I bet you she'd love to control my phone. <laughs> See what I'm up to sometimes. Um, but in a serious note, um, it's, you know, it shouldn't be a bad thing for you to do it. You know, um, to look at your kids messages I know my mother when I first got my very first speech phone and I was very independent of sending messages um, which which I did when I was about because I was about let's see I was about 16 when I got my first accessible speech phone I've still got it it was a Nokia 6600 I'll never forget it and uh, my mum and my sister, every once in a while, would just te- check through my text message inbox. Um, they never used to grab the phone off me, but they used to know what I was doing with the phone sometimes. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they did read through some of my messages. <laughs> um, that wasn't that wasn't good when somebody grabs your phone and they realise, oh dear. While you're texting whom? What? Why are you you doing that for? Type of thing. Of course, at the time, at college, it was brilliant. Because I could lock myself in my room and text who the heck I wanted to. And all that kind of thing. Nowadays, phones are becoming more accessible for everybody. And just be the good parent. Um, I've got my my nephew... um, because of his issues, I let him have my phone. But I'm I'm right with him. He has to be the rule I have. I'm I'm not a person for rules, by the way. But the rule I have, um, just so he doesn't break it or call somebody or I don't I don't put parents lock or anything on it. I'm quite um, I'll put an app on and. I'll stay with him the whole time. And I you know, I'll be I'll have him on my knee. He can the the rule is he can play with my phone as long as he's on my knee because I know what he's up to. And you know, he's 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 pretty cool with that. You know, it's like he understands. So he gets the phone, it keeps him quiet for a few hours. And uh yeah, and, and so sometimes I have to take it off him and because some apps have adverts on them and things but and he likes to press the home button a lot so um and I've got a clinky loud phone home button on this phone uh well I did have on the old one as well so I know when he clicks the home button um I know when he's come off the app <laughs> so it's yeah it's just one of those things but really um, just be a tech-savvy parent. Even if you're old, an old grandma who doesn't know nothing about technology, please be tech-savvy. Please be a tech-savvy parent. Please, you know, get the Witch magazine. Read stuff. It doesn't take a few minutes to learn technology. You don't have to do it yourself, like, know it for yourself, but you have to know it for others that use it. I know my gran, who who's quite with it 
you know, she's got a tablet and everything, um, and she's got with it about hackers and stuff like that, um, and, but there's people who aren't with it, they won't touch a computer at all, um, and they won't even read up on it, and it's just like, why, (laughs) you know, um, it just annoys me, you know, you don't have to go near a computer, but you have to read up on technology, um, so that's my advice, because you never know in this day and age, we're going to move on, because we've got more, we've got some really interesting stuff to talk about, um, on this podcast, and this is a special podcast for underground people, um, I did not come here to talk about Momo Challenge at all, so, um, just a discretion though for the rest of the podcast, um, I want to talk about, excuse me, (laughs) sorry, I want to talk about, um, just the underground culture in general and stuff, so stay tuned. Hello folks and welcome to the usual bit of the podcast Um, We're uh, stood on the footpath uh, Just because we can Um, And I am bored out of my wits Because I went swimming this morning, forgot my band This afternoon went out Forgot my bus pass, went back, went swimming, and found that they've got those wave raves on. Because it's half term. With it being half term, the kids get. Oh, really? So, I won't be allowed in till like four o'clock. And there's no alternative. Well, they could at least let me into Splash World at least. But oh no, they turn you away. So, I'm just so angry at that. I don't want to go home because if I go home, I'll just lie on my bed and do fuck all. And it annoys me. And I just don't want to do that, you know? So, I'm blogging about something that I want to blog about, which is uh, the underground. And uh, what I want to talk about is... Um, I want to talk about how um, it's the mainstream that really covers up our fancies, really covers up our ideas, really covers up what we've got inside us because um, all all the politics that goes goes on. We may have a persona. But because the way the mainstream is, they're telling us how to behave, or we must be a certain way, or we, you know, we must be like a certain. So I'm. Um, I'm still in the same place as I was last time. I'm. Um, I'm on the. I'm on the corner, discussing 
Um, just underground, really. So we're still on the corner and we'll move off in just a little while. Um, I've got the swimming stuff in my other hand here. <sighs> really annoyed. I am so pissed off because if I go home now, that's a waste of a day. Um, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand on the corner. And just, I don't know. I could sit on this wall and cheese off the people across the road. In fact, um, I could take you guys off the public footpath, off the public footpath. Tell you what, I'll walk round the corner. Stay with us. We're gonna walk round the corner and then we're gonna discuss more underground things. Stay with us. We're walking round the corner. It's a lovely day. We might as well walk round the corner. Make use of this day at some point. And discuss. And as you probably don't know, I'm making notes about the mainstream and and I found a and I found a solution to guys who want to know underground things. If you want to know that solution, message me on Facebook. I've got the perfect solution. where we can do all the underground stuff that we used to do um, I found this chat room where it uses um, it uses something but um, I'm writing three books now because my third book my third ebook is called um, a non-conformist what's it called a non-conformist life no the guide to non-conforming um, tells you how to um, it tells you how to basically rebel against conforming it tells you how to be who you want to be um, it tells so as I was saying, there's a chat room that I've found. I think it's called, the app's called Anonymous Chat Room. Um, I'll just take my silence off. In case when people ring me, they can fucking... Um, so yeah, you know, we're going to hopefully discuss what we want to discuss in there. Um... It's nothing to do with the deep web, but it's yeah, it's 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 a, it's a private chat room. 
so basically if you want to um, join me in there I'll put a link well I won't put a link on my normal Facebook and I won't put a link in this podcast notes either when I set it up uh, because uh, yeah it's one of those we're going to make it very difficult for guys to find because we're going to have who we want in there and uh, we're going to get people to staff it as well we're going to get the people who want the information to man it Um, so it's not just me putting out all the info and then yeah uh, that's how it's going to work and we can set anything up we want Um, I could even set up a chat room up for another project that I'm working on but I'm not going to but back on the conforming and non-conforming um the whole imaginary friends project is to do with non-conforming there is a whole section in there about that a whole huge section it's going to be a bible to non-conforming um there's going to be a section in there for goths um sexual orientation there's basically a whole heap of things now it's going to be an underground book and you will have to pay 30 quid once we release it um the money will go to um all these mental health charities um and hopefully we won't see anything of it. So... I am, but... So, yeah. Um, the book's going to be called The Guide to Invisible Ink and it's it's um, it's a number of things it's, 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 it's a journey that I've wanted to go on for a while uh, there's going to be YouTube videos there's going to be um, there's already the Facebook blog Imaginary Friends blog there's another blog we're going to make called The Nonconformist blog uh, the imaginary friends bit's just going to be a small section on how you can create people and create universes and stuff like that, create collages and all kinds of stuff. Um, the next section is about your name, who your name is. Uh, yeah, it's it's about. Um, It's about changing your name and accepting the differences. Um, it's a lot to do, to deal with. And um, it's difficult for the mainstream 
it's difficult for the mainstream to understand because um, somebody gives you a name and they accept you they hope that you're going to be happy with it Um, but there's a lot more to it if you're going to change your name you have to really want to do it Um, am I doing it Um, no because um, a name comes with a persona when I use different names for things it's um, I'm using the persona for that project Um, I used to be Sonic Ival it's Rock God he's now just some like imaginary person now but um, that we'll discuss in another podcast but also we have DJ Megatron which is another persona taking on when I'm doing my DJing um and I have Matthew Turbo, which is the pen name for writing books and um, doing really interesting projects. The Imaginary Friends blog, we're using Matthew Turbo for the Imaginary Friends stuff. Um, all the videos will be made by Matthew Turbo. And that's the third person. But really, Matthew Turbo is my middle name, so... Well, not my middle name. <laughs> Matthew is one of my middle names so it's not really it's not really a change of name because it's one of my one of my middle names so I'm not faking that anyway so um, I'm just using it as a persona and a different character Uh, Matthew Turbo is more uh, scientific and a much more interesting character. Uh, Matthew Turbo is. For sake. Yeah, I am, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm just fucking replying. Um. Where was I? So yeah, I mean. If you're going to change your name, uh, you, you have to, you have to go f- go f- go with you know. You have to go through the whole process of right. You know, for example, um, you have to just you have to act that person twenty four seven. You know. Uh, would I act as Matthew Turbo? No, but when I do a project, I get into that character. Um, and I love I love it. I just... I, I rose it, you know. I loathe every part of it because... That's... The artistic side of me. Very artistic side of me. And Matthew Turbo is more artistic more thought out I guess Um, I'm hoping that Matthew Turbo will be the person that commentates that's basically the voiceover in the Imaginary Friends project which we haven't thought yet we're at the moment, we're having to stop the project because uh, so many things are happening. It's, um, 
Uh, we got a carnival this year. Uh, we got a record label starting this year. Uh, we've got the podcast that's ongoing. So we've got two podcasts going. We've got, you know, so much things happening, so much. We're in the middle of writing one book, but we're in the middle of writing two books. So the uh, Imagine Your Friends project... Um, well, hopefully, start this year and end next year on a series of videos, which we've decided now to use another camera that we've got, and um, we're going to use music, we're going to use photos, we're going to use everything. Um, are we going to make this as an underground documentary? Of course, because um, this is art I want to share and not necessarily art people will be interested in seeing. But we're going to put it out there for the public. But we're going to treat it like um, like it has been funded by some underground organisation. Uh, you know, this was funded by the... Children of God Society, something like that. Just something that's... We're going to make up a charity as well. Um, So people... You know, we could pretend that it's like a government-funded thing. When it won't be, because... um, The whole project is complete... Is complete da-da. Um... I've got places I want to use um, and I want to put my imaginary friends into the real community. A bit like when Coombe Transmissions they had like different people acting as different people but I think when you have an imaginary person that comes in to the whole equation people become uncomfortable with the whole thing and you know what that is brilliant that's sort of like the punk aspect to art if I was going to go into the pub now and say um, I've got an imaginary friend coming um, can you set this place for them and stuff like that this is the boundaries we want to push the boundaries of Annoying the public. Annoying the public eye. And um, there's a couple of places I want to go. To just test environments for the beginning of it. It's not just going to be one documentary. It's going to be a series of documentaries. Uh, because if it was one documentary... We, people won't be able to go away from it and think, ooh, you know. What, you know, if we leave people on a cliffhanger, you know, episode one, this happens in episode one, then in episode two, this happens in episode two, in episode three, in episode four. And, um... We're also going to pretend that we've... We're doing it for an underground 
television station that's got a YouTube channel. Um, we got loads of ideas, but we want to share. That's uh, what we want to do. That's an important thing. Remember, sharing is caring. Um, and, you know, we're going to write books on it. We're going to write journals, you know, written by the people that I'm pretending to be. You know, so there'll be Andy's journey, oh, Andy's journal, Rosemary's journal, Charles's journal. You see, you can read their journals and you can read their lives. You can read other people that I've created. You can read their lives, their day-to-day lives. So, and that's something that we're interested in doing. And um, it's a project that I'm willing to do. Because um, there's people on YouTube that are already doing stuff like this, but I had a really cool idea and um, just felt that... I read a comment on a YouTube video that somebody... They used to look after their imaginary friend. They looked at you know, and they did all this. And I just thought, let's do it. Let's see what people accept and don't accept. I want to push that as a boundary. Because then... Um... I mean, there's a few things we could do. To sort of get... The realistic parts of things on camera, but... Um... There are things that I just want to... Go out and film. Um... So that's what I want to do. I want to go out and film these projects. Um, And I've thought of using a public pathway, a public street. Um, I'd like to use a field. Uh, because with the field we could create a lot more we could create a pretend community you know cafes you know all these kind of things but um, this will lead to an arts festival as well that we're going to do run next year as well as long as with with the music festival we're going to run a music and arts festival um, to see if we people can, you know, and we'll put everything on display. But um, we're going to learn through play, learn through play and learn through role play as well 
we'll have scripts and we might get some real people to play some of the imaginary friends if they want to I've got one person to play somebody um, I know one person who would just be fantastic she'd be brilliant um, she's very arty farty and she would be brilliant for this type of role I've got in mind so there may be sketches or whatever and we're doing it as a documentary type feel Welcome to today's episode And Today I want to talk about aliens How um, How aliens are basically Basically They say that you're no more than 10 feet from a rat But An alien Freaking hell You know I think aliens are more closer than we think And We humans Tend to Think That aliens are Far away, but we can't judge. We can't judge things very well because, as like, we're just so bloody pathetic, you know. And there's no way we can. Um, there's no way we can find about. Uh, how far we are from aliens and how near we are from how near we are to rats, you know. But I believe personally that we're more close to aliens than, than I'm just doing a 
Hello once again, we're out on the road, as we always seem to be, and I'm going to the Hesketh Centre, <coughs> crossing this uh, drive, <coughs> um, yeah, um, I kind of want to finish this blog on more kind of <clears throat> a bloggy type of thing give us a segue from this episode to the next um, I spoke about two books that I'm writing one's my cyberpunk book um, the other is my actual life story I wouldn't say life story but <clears throat> um Basically, it's it's a story of how DJ Megatron was formed, and just surrounds the music that I listen to, the music I grew up with, just that kind of thing. Oh, we can. Whoa, it's not usually that easy. So, uh, <coughs> yeah, I'm, we're going to tell people exactly where we've come from um, and what our goals are because we'd be lying in the book if we didn't say that we didn't have any goals to achieve or any corners or and I'm opening a can of worms because I want to make a record company and the reason to why I want to do a record company is because um, there's music I hear that just doesn't satisfy me Um, I hear music in the charts, I have to because it's the end of the day my job as a broadcaster is to check what's happening in the charts but I don't I, I'll go online and look at the chart and what's in the chart we'll go over it and brush over it every week but I personally I'm not the, one of these people that rushes out and gets the next say Bruno Mars record for example um, you know or the next You know, if there's a record that I think, ooh, do you know, I like that, I'll run out and buy it. And I've always been like that. I've always been, you know, most of my record collection um, has been stuff that I, you know, I have had to have. You know, that's been... That's most of my record collection. But even when I go on iTunes now, I just browse stuff to get things for work. And I just think, do you know... And I thought the other day, 
I've got all the stuff I need for work. I've got all the stuff I need to play. Every gig I go to, I've got all the things I need. People are giving me resources every day saying, look, play this. But when I, personally, when I sit down... Brother. All right, brother, how are you? Just be careful, I walk you. Yeah, just long here, two-third of payments blocked off, cordoned off the crap payments. So All oh, right, yeah, I'm going to, uh, yeah. Yeah, I walk, it's just that you've only got about two-foot payments. All oh, right, yeah, if you come on my other side, then, yeah. sir. Yeah, so you get there, brother. It's just where that page is like, 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 Oh yeah, not problem. I'm going to I'm going to the Hesker Centre, but I'm going to ring them up to cross me over the. I was only going to drop some meter cards on the road. I was actually heading up Park Road and spotted yet. Just let me stop this recording. It's all right. I don't want to talk over it. Just hear my voice instead. Hello guys, uh, we're going to finish this podcast and I hope you guys have really enjoyed it. Um, it's kind of been a bit like the old Facebook live videos, what we used to talk about in those. Um, there's a Facebook group called The Underground Family, uh, sorry, The Insane and Underground Family. Um, it's a closed group, but if you really want to know more on what we've talked about, then head over to that. But before you go... Um, and before I talk about uh, shadow people and shadow universes, <laughs> I want to talk about my book. Um, so I was talking about my DJ Megatron book. And in fact, I'm not going to talk about shadow people in this podcast because I'm leaving that to the next episode. Um, sorry, folks, I thought I'd leave that to the next episode and just... Um, I know you're probably wanting me to to discuss about that, but it's going to be in the next episode. And um, but this is kind of yeah. Um, so back to the book, the DJ Megatron book. Um, why I'm writing a book about me, um, my music influences, my college days, my, how I got into radio, um, my days of hospital radio, and I kind of want to take people, I kind of want to walk through, through, I can't speak, I kind of want to walk people through those days of, um, the studio lifestyle of what it was like in, you know, the hospital radio studio. And it's kind of, uh, I've brought some of those, um, I brought some of those things, those styles of, uh, what we did at, um, hospital radio into McGill radio. And it has taken a while to do it. Um, I'm also going to talk about Southport hospital radio, which I didn't bring over to McGill radio. Uh, but, um, 
you know, the stuff I learned through that. And I do want to put that in the book because there were some hilarious times. There were some really weird times. And, and it's it's all going to go in the book because um, I did meet a couple of people who were inspired by me but weren't. And uh, I want to talk about those people in the book too. And I want to talk about those people right now on the podcast because if I'm, I, I think that, you know, the one thing I learned in uh, Southport Hospital Radio was um, people are afraid of blind people. Well, they're just f- afraid of disabled people, full stop. And so they won't let you f- near the equipment in case something bad happens. But if something they if something bad happens to the equipment that they do, oh man, it's like the the blame is just on like it's like oh it's it's nothing it's nothing you know and um, they didn't really care um, the other guy that was doing it he was a, he was a comedian but he was also a complete something else and the reason he got what he wanted was because not only was he fully sighted but he kicked and screamed and apparently. Um, he whined so much that not only did he get his own show, he got the software. Not only did he get the software, he got the access to the studio. Not only did he get that, but, you know, and there was no safeguarding in place. There's a whole lot of things to talk about in that. Um, So, I mean... When people walk in the studio and and they say, "Whoa!" Their, their mouths drop open when they see a blind guy operating a mixing desk, and I'm pretty relaxed. There's, <laughs> there's another thing. It's like, um, it's like, it's like you're in an airplane with somebody who's had a lot of flight experience. But obviously, you know, you're on a plane. Um, it's like being on a plane where uh, the co-pilot is having to take control. But he's fully experienced. That's the experience that people have and their mouths drop open. And when I push the wrong slider up, and I'm so calm about it. And to the point where I joke about it. And the reason I joke about it is because... I am not making the audience ease. Well, I am, but I want to try and make other presenters that are going into the hot seat. You know, this is how easy it is. Yeah, I want to kind of make them feel easy. I feel that people are more nervous when they are put in that situation. Um, but it's like, you know, it's all a breath of fresh air. But it... it I can feel people's anxieties when they see me control a mixing desk. How do you do that? People ask. Uh, I mean, I'm at Magul Radio. I use a mixing desk. I push the wrong fader up. Now, well, people say, hey, Megatron, why is this? Why are you not so worried about pushing the wrong fader up? What if you push the master fader up? 
Well, I have touched a fader that I shouldn't have touched, but do you know something? Nobody's told me where the trim is. Now, the trim is the master volume. And the reason they don't know they don't want me to know where the trim is is because if I touch it and meddle with it, they'll have to put it back. Let me tell you this, friends. Um I'm not one of these noobs who touches something and like um the only thing that I will leave down are the mics. Um So I make sure that they're zeroed. Um I could zero the speakers, but I don't. Um I mean James does that, it's strange. We zero the headphones and sometimes we zero the speakers, but yeah, you don't need to do that. But um on the other desk that we had, the cheaper desk, there was um a label on the master fader saying please do not touch. I touched that fader and I put it back and nobody noticed. Um and you know why? It was because I felt where it was and I knew exactly how they had it. So it's it basically um you just need to know a mixing desk. I mean even my my boss is is quite um amazed. He's like, "Wow." And I did tell him I said, "Look, I I touched the master volume, but I put it back." And him and Dan like Ian and Dan were just like, "Whoa." <laughs> I said, look, it's a mixing desk, you know. Um, Mixing desks are, you know, different to computers. There are things about that desk that I don't know, but there are things that I do know. And so it's like... um, All the things I need to know. But I'm, I'm not frightened of touching the wrong fader or the wrong knob. Because that's how I know where, you know, the mixing desk. That's how I learn about it. Um, And I didn't really get to play around with mixing desks in college. It's only quite recently um, that I get to play around with them. Um, I don't like PA desks so much, but just a mixing desk. Just put me in front of a mixing desk and... I'm good to go, you know, just putting sliders up and down, nothing's going to go wrong so much, Uh, and I did say, look, you know, we had Microsoft Sam, and people were discussing certain things, I was totally out the loop with that, but as soon as a mixing desk came in, and there were certain issues, you know, hey, I was, I was, I'm all over it. And uh, people ask why, but I'm never. Fr- I'm not frightened of a mixing desk because, um, you know, uh, you're not gonna. You're not. I mean, what could go wrong? Um, well, you could kill a master volume, and yeah, that is. For somebody who doesn't know mixing desks, you need to know where the master is because you need to know to leave that alone. Um, I always, I mean, every mixing desk I come across, even my own mixing desk, 
I leave the trim set. Uh, you don't need to zero the trim at all because um, reason you don't need to zero the trim is because it's your master trim. So if you just leave that set, you're good to go. As long as you zero everything else, you're good to go. As long as you zero all your other volumes and everything else on that channel, you're alright. But the master it's always a pain to reset that and um, it's like um, dad's speakers were my like my old speakers and I was playing around with the master volume on it to see if it still worked and it does <laughs> but um, I left it I set it at 12 o'clock for dad and I said dad that's at 12 o'clock do not put it past 12 o'clock and he's like don't mess with that I'm like yeah, I wasn't. I was just setting the master. I said because there's with these being PA speakers, there's two master volumes on it because you've got the master volume from the amp, which you know, like you know, but then you've got the master volume from the thing. In in radio, they don't call it a master volume; they call it a trim because it masters the whole thing. But um, yeah. It can, it can mess stuff up if you mess around with the master volume. However, if it's just a slider on a desk and it's set part of the way up, um, if you feel where it is, you can just reset it. Um, yeah, and I did zero it by accident, but it was done very quickly, so nobody noticed. Um, thank goodness. So I didn't panic too much. Um... But a lot of people do panic. You know, they say, oh, how do you know? You know, if you're just, like, putting mics up and down, nothing's going to go wrong, you know? Um, the amount of times I've accidentally put the mic up. I used to do it um, at hospital radio um, at the analogue desk because it used to click. Um, I used to do it all the time. I used to put the fader up really low because it would click and then put it down and... Um, yeah, I got told off doing that. Um, I remember there was one, not the manager, but just the training manager didn't like it when you did that. And they didn't like it when you played around with the mics so much. Um, and I've read up on microphones since then. Um, luckily, I know about condenser mics and stuff. Um, so I'm always setting them um, and sometimes have the mic too near me I'm going to discuss microphones in the book but I'm also going to give it more of my personal feel you know entering the studio what it was like um, doing a show with a hangover all that kind of thing you know um, you know uh, what type of song to have to go to the toilet and all that kind of thing, you know. Um, and we do, me and James, we kind of do the this stuff that me and Mike Finch used to do. Um, and Mike Finch will get a mention in the book because Mike Finch was the god of radio in my book. He, like... He was an enabler at Henshaw's, but as soon as we went into the hospital radio studio, 
as soon as we closed that door and we got kicking on those shows, um, he would he would have a different head on. So it was just wonderful. Um, and James is the same. James is a um, fantastic character. Um, when you know, but um, and I'll tell you what, when when Ian gave James the producer role. He was jumping for joy. Um, I was going to have him anyway. <clears throat> I just said to Ian... I said to Ian on a, um, a private message, um, my boss, I said... Um, we had a we had a team of producers back then. Because I was actually self-producing shows. Um, so we'd have a team of people, of sidekicks... There was Ian, um, Jenny, um, James, and I think Dan Parker was on the little team that we had, and it would just rotate like that, um, every once in a while, but James was the one that was there every time, he was there, he would... He would turn up every week. My show was on. He would turn up every week. He would come in the studio. And he came in at the most annoying times because I was so used to self-producing. I had the show. I kicked him. There was a couple of times I did kick him out of the studio. (laughs) That happened because I wasn't... There was a time when I wasn't used to having a producer in the room. um, Because commercial radio... Um, is a different story and I personally do not want to go into commercial radio um, that's that's something or other I'm, I'm comfortable, I'm happy where I am um, and I think McGill Radio is, is like my destiny um, I didn't feel comfortable there at first because you know, if you're not going to feel comfortable somewhere you know something's not going to happen right and it didn't that's <laughs> That's, that's going to be talked about in the book. Um, I'm not going to mention any names, but there was a manager that I didn't get on with, and it, that didn't go very well. And there was a producer that I got on with, but they didn't get on with me. And there was another producer I got on with, but then they didn't get on with me either, and they weren't used to working with me. <laughs> and when a producer says they're not work, used to working with you, they're not going to be used to working with you. That's how it is. Um... So that's all taken care of. But back to the old hospital radio at HHR. I'm going to talk about the smell of vinyl in the studio. Um, Something that we don't get at McGull Radio. The smell of vinyl in the studio. Um, The problem with cassette players in radio studios. I'm so glad we don't use them. (laughs) Um, Problems we had with mini-disc. Uh, my mini disc got stuck in the mini disc player that um, we had to pick it up in the afternoon. Oh, just we had some great times. Um, we had, yeah, problems with the mini disc, uh, problems with the computer. Um, there was one time that one mic didn't work, uh, one microphone didn't work, and we had to share a microphone. 
Um, and we've embarrassed guests. Yeah, this is all happening in the book. Um, so that's just one section of the book. Um, the DJ Megatron name as well. I'm going to tell you how I got the name. I'm going to talk about my DJ warm-ups. Um, team discos. Uh, CD players breaking down. Uh, when I walked out of a gig. Um, when I got drunk a set. I, I didn't get to talk about that on the documentary. I did get drunk at my very first proper set I did. Uh, it was the very end. It was the end of year college. And uh, I was DJing. And... I was drunk, and I was trying to get the mic off people, it, it didn't work well, um, so yeah, um, I've had drinks thrown at me as well, I want to talk about that, because, you know, um, things that happen at sets and stuff, but in my book, I'm going to have a lifestyle section I'm going to have a radio section um and I'm going to have the playing live section the bit we like the most <laughs> going out and uh, setting up live and all that kind of stuff um all the should and shouldn't do all the don'ts I still do I still drink on stage um, it doesn't affect my sets at all just one tip I'd have for drinking on stage is drink about two or three pints at least don't do anything different in the middle, don't mix your drinks on stage that's not a good thing and try and you know don't get too hammered because remember you've got to kick down you've got to unplug all your leads you've got to unplug your kettle lead you've got to remember where everything goes so yeah don't get fully toxic intoxicated wait until you're done uh do all that stuff backstage if you really want to get intoxicated do it after the set you know, always, excuse me, always make sure that you're not going to get fully intoxicated on stage. And personally, um, I don't really like getting fully intoxicated on stage. There's a couple of times where it's happened. Um, in the early days, I used to get fully intoxicated because I, I could get in the moment. Uh but yeah yeah um and give the audience what they want that's another thing um and always you know play what you want at some point in your set as well um I'll discuss about bad sets and good sets if you haven't had a bad set yet, um, you're playing absolutely rubbish. Uh, your crowd are too polite to tell you. <laughs> I'm going to mention that because, you know, and 
I suggest that you do youth clubs and stuff like that first. You know, do friends parties. Um, and DJ in the bedroom a lot longer than don't just go straight out. Don't do what I did. I had two months in my bedroom DJing. That's what I had. I had two months. I wish I'd had a lot longer. I did used to do a lot of sets in my bedroom when I was bored. I used to get the decks out and real have some fun. I've got some mixes where I just, you know, they were really good mixes. I personally like them. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a guide as such. It's more of a maybe the DJ Megatron. Me giving the fans something to read something to laugh about something to chuckle over um the book's gonna be a bit of a roller coaster and like a roller coaster um yeah imagine when you start reading the book imagine you're in that carriage you're waiting for the ride to go so there'll be like acknowledgements contents all that kind of stuff that'll be at the beginning and there'll be some a lot of pictures in the book i want to get some pictures in um, the book because pictures make they say pictures say a thousand words so I want to get some pictures um, of me I've got some early DJ Megatron pics um, and unfortunately I cannot use them all because I don't own all the pictures that I took but I've got a few early ones where I can sneak in there uh, ones where I'm playing at the Falstaff and uh, yeah um, I've got a couple of good ones at the Falstaff um, and stuff like that so you know um, but um, you know there's just other stuff in the book which didn't make into the documentary how I became DJ Megatron. Um, how I've, for, how I got into dance music and stuff. You know, but like I say, that's all in a lifestyle bit. Um, but expect a roller coaster. There's gonna be some parts of the book that make you go whoa and there's going to be some bits in the book that make you go ah um that's just my book um that's what I want to do I want to finish the podcast with discussing my record label that I'm going to make this year um I'm going to I'm thoroughly researching into how to start a rate a can't speak a label um it's time that we got people that really do the music they want to do on the label what am i looking for though on the label um i'm looking for inventive people um original um people that put all the energy into what they want to do uh 
people that write their own songs. I don't mind cover songs, but, you know, all that kind of stuff. And just people are very innovative people. Um, what What type of genres will I sign, put on my label? Anything. Anything goes. Um, I would like a lot of metalers and punks because that was what I started originally listening to before dance. I also want a lot of rappers on my label because, um, you know, rap. um, I want some British rappers, but I also want some... I find this hard to say. Disabled rappers on the label. Um, They're they're the kind that I want. Just people that, you know, rap about something that they, not just rapping about being a gangster and all that stuff. Rapping about what they feel. Um, I will take gangster rap. But um, I kind of want to take something that's got a bit more feel. Will I take grime? Um, yes and no. Um, I, I've I've got a I've got a personal I've got a. The thing with grime is, grime as we all know, every single grime record goes mainstream. And whereas rap records don't go mainstream and a lot of British rappers tend to go towards the grime scene, whereas grime and rap and hip hop, uh, it's all very, very different. Grime is a subgenre of hip hop, um, but it's more urban type. Um, You know, the old grime was really, really good. Because it had something to say for itself, and it it was, I don't know it. It had something that was very some. There was something different about it. But now, grime is everywhere. Um, whereas rap is kind of different. And yeah, I'll also take spoken word psychedelic rock. Um, drum and bass dubstep. Um, UK Garage, I'll just take and leave because, again, it's everywhere again now. Um, again, UK Garage has gone to the grime scene. Um, yeah. If you are signing sort of old school UK Garage, we'll take. Uh, new school UK Garage, we won't take because, because, um, you know. No, I'm not saying though if there is a UK if there is a new school UK garage artist that I love I you know I'm not saying that I won't drop them because if I like them I will sign you know if if I feel that something that you know if somebody comes to me and says we got um we're using new school garage baselines but we're actually using urban beats or whatever and we're actually got some sort of 
urban soundscapes over the top. If I hear that and I like it, then I've got to hear more of it to the point. You know, um, and this goes to the old days. I mean, the new days, it's so much... Um, if we like an artist, we'll only hear about two or three tracks of them. Um, whereas in the olden days, if we liked an artist, we would go and buy an album. And seriously, you'd have to like an artist to buy an album of what they did. Um, cause you appreciated them that much. Um, Whereas nowadays, it's a totally different thing. Um, However, I've still got full-length Pendulum albums in my Spotify playlist. And I've still nearly got full-length The Prodigy albums in my playlist. However, Fat of the Land, I still only like about three or four tracks of it. It's still only a quarter of a portion of that album that I like. Whereas uh, music for the Jilted Generation, there was only two skip tracks on that whole album. <laughs> you know, um, and that was, that was the, the uh, in my opinion, that's, you know, that was the beauty of De Prodigy. They knew how to make good skip tracks. <laughs> because um, they would be skip, they would start off as skip tracks and then you would listen to them and you'd think, no, this can't be a skip track. They made a really, really, really good skip track on Fat of the Land. And it's after it's the track right after Firestarter. You know. How could you make a skip track so good? <laughs> you know? Um There's one track before Firestarter as well, which is again another really good skip track. Which is why I still say that I like a quarter of a percent you know portion of Fat of the Land because there's only four tracks that you know the first well I like tracks one two three and four um I like tracks five whereas the track before Firestarter I don't really care for as much and obviously Firestarter the track after Firestarter and the very last track I absolutely love um, so it was, you know, that album spoke volumes to me in the day, back in the day. And then I heard music for the Jilted Generation a bit later, a bit later on. Um, so obviously if I'm making a record label and it's like when I was 12 or 13, I had this rule that I had to, I used to buy compilation albums because then I would listen to an artist, get to like them to the point where... I would have to buy a full-blown album. That sometimes meant wee disappointment because, for example, um, bands like Status Quo, back in the day, I didn't really enjoy a full-length album of them, but then I did later on. Excuse me. And they did some really good albums. Um, Black Sabbath... I never got disappointed with Black Sabbath. Uh, I heard Paranoid, and then I wanted to hear more of Black Sabbath. Um, so, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. There was one artist I got really disappointed. I was listening to them, and then I got really disappointed when I fully heard them. I was like, ah. Um, I can't think which artist it was now. Um, 
and they never ended up in my collection. Rod Stewart, I think it was. Um, I had one really good song that he did, and then I just didn't... All the other songs, I thought, oh... Um, but, yeah. So... I want to kind of go back to those days where... I want an artist to be to the point where you'd have to buy a full-length album of their work because they're so good. Um, I mean, when I got the first... I got In Silico, loved it. Uh, Pendulum In Silico, loved it. And then I bought the first Pendulum album. I was in Harrogate, bought the first Pendulum album. It's Slam and... Uh, fasten your seatbelts and tarantula, uh, hold your colour. Oh, I heard all those songs and I thought, what a good, you know, they were real good songs, you know. That album was better than In Silico, I thought, because, um, in my opinion, because it was just true, pure drum and bass. It was just, you know, it was what I was listening to at the time. It was. It was a soundtrack of my life back then. It was there was there was a part of Pendulum that you know that it just that album when I heard it, it was just things turned around for me when I heard that album. My life just turned around at that point. So, um, you know, I want artists to hear an artist and think. Yeah, I want to hear 12 tracks of that, you know. That's something I want to hear, you know. Um, If someone's going to buy 12 tracks of something, you've got to enjoy it. Um, I mean, I remember when I... My first really decent album I got was Led Zeppelin 4, because I got into Led Zeppelin... Um, my mum and dad got me Led Zeppelin 4. And every track on that album, there's only one skip track, and that's uh, the track before When the Levy Breaks, but every other track on the album is just... It's just... Oh. There's just something about that, you know? Um, and... You just wanted... After that, there wasn't just Led Zeppelin 4 that I wanted to hear. I mean, I'd heard Led Zeppelin, so I knew what what I wanted to hear. But, you know, I heard Led Zeppelin 3 a bit later on. And, you know, Houses of the Holy. Um, so, it's just... When you, hear it, when you hear a band, you might think, Do you know what? I don't want to hear just one album from that band. I want to hear two albums, three albums... Four albums. To the point where you think, whoa. You know? I mean, Wishbone Ash was another... I remember hearing Argos and all the stuff they did. Um, I'm so glad they've not brought anything different out. Because that would that'd be a bad album. It's like Muse when they brought... Um, I really liked Muse... I liked all the work they did 
until the last album they brought out, which I thought was a very disappointment because they changed their sound. But, I don't know. Um, I know a lot of people get bored with the same sound, but for some bands it works, for others it doesn't. Um, It just depends. But, again, I would love to hear, you know, I'd love to sign a band that I'm going to hear, wanting to hear 12 or 13 tracks of. Um, Because, obviously, if we're putting albums out here, if we're putting albums out, you know, if people want to say, if people were to give me an album, and they would say, hey, hear this. Now, a lot of people these days would turn an album away. But not me. Because if someone's going to give me a CD with 12 tracks on. I know this sounds old-fashioned. But this is the thing. If you're going to go old school. Um, if you're going to go down the old school route of selling CDs. Selling vinyl. Pressing cassettes. All that kind of stuff. Then I'm definitely going to want to hear more than just one song. And I'm, it's like... You know, well, can we press that on vinyl? Can we press it on cassette? Can we, you know... um, If that's the route we're going to take... And certainly, would I buy a cassette with that band on? Definitely so. If it's going to be something that I like. I remember when I, um, you know, used to sneak cassettes home. Um, I used to record bands on the radio... Uh, I did all that kind of thing. This was the days before the internet, the glorious days. Um, And we used to tape the charts and stuff. And I remember Eminem and Papa Roach and Dr. Dre, Limp Bizkit. I remember that era. And I remember I loved Limp Bizkit so much. I had to buy their album because I didn't want to hear just one or two songs. I'd hear a full album of, of Limp Bizkit. And I remember getting, for my birthday, for my 13th birthday, I got chocolate starfish and a hot dog flavoured water. And I remember putting on that album. And, okay, the band swore. I actually got a cut version of the album. But still, I knew the band swore. But there was something about Limp Biscuit that made me think that was, you know, their music wasn't just rap metal. There was other things they used in their music and... When when we got to chocolate, when we got to chocolate starfish, we were hearing songs that were very different. Um, we weren't just hearing hip hop. We weren't just hearing metal. Um, unfortunately, um, like Limp Bizkit's last album that they did was in two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. That is a really interesting album. Um, they went back to the. Chocolate Starfish, the album that came out after Chocolate Starfish isn't a very impressive album, in my opinion. But I think the album that they did, you know, the last album they did was really good. Um, it it was like they went back to Chocolate Starfish, and their first two records. There was actually the EP that they released as well, uh, which is really good. Um, so. You know, sometimes you have to go back to go forward. That's what I say. But, you know, if I'm going to hear... If I go out and hear some guy rapping, 
to some backing track, I might think, hmm, could he rap to a better backing track? Could he or she rap to a better backing track? Um, and I don't care, and that's another thing, I don't care if it's a male or a female rapping. That's, you know, not what I'm about. Um, I don't care if it's a male or a female rapping. What I care about is their innovation and their creation. You know, they could be rapping about, I don't know, how bad it is living, like how the living is. I remember talking to a heavy metal band um, when I was in a studio somewhere and I said, what makes you create your lyrics? Um, They're not together anymore, this metal band. And they told me, oh, we've had some bad times, bad relationships, um, this and that, the other, you know, stuff we've read in the papers. And yeah, they were really, they were really true to their words and what they meant. Um, And it's hard being a heavy metal band because you have to go and look out for that stuff. Um, I love reading the myths of metal bands. Especially black metal bands, you know, work out in the cold, shivering snow. <laughs> um, you know, um, I mean, some of the heavy metal bands, they've got that cold sound, like they've, you know, like they're in some cold dungeon somewhere. I love, I love the, how that, you know, um, and some of those black metal stories make you laugh. Um, but anyway, we're going to wrap it up right here. Um, this is an underground podcast which has turned out quite mainstream in the end but we're gonna we're gonna cover something else in another podcast and obviously um something else that i want to leave you guys with is this um if you think you know someone who would like to be on a record label let us know. We want to hear from you. Um, because I'm not a major label. I don't want to be a major label. Um, I have more ideas than a major label would have, in my opinion, because the smaller you are, the more things you're able to take on, the more challenges you're able to face, the more things you're able to go out and see and do. Um, but still work like a label, I guess. Um, and obviously, smaller labels believe in certain people. Um I know one thing that I do want to take on is a lot of chip tune artists. I feel that some of them are being thrown out into the cold and you know they are you know there is a lot of chip tune artists out there they're just not being heard. Um so yeah, it doesn't matter if you're chip tune techno you've got to be creative um 
you've got to be something that I want to hear, definitely. <laughs> you know. Um, but for now, guys, I'm going to publish this and be done because there's a lot to put in the description. <laughs>